Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, radindymedia.com, and now under podcast at popularresistance.org. Today, we're also happy to announce the Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti America's team, has joined our program as a broadcast partner. Today's episode, Lawfare, the case of Argentina and Peru. Joining me today is my friend and co-host, Raul Burbano. Raul Burbano is the program director for Common Frontiers based in Toronto. Common Frontiers is a WTF broadcast partner. And I think some of you probably know that Raul and I have done a lot of solidarity work together in Venezuela, Colombia, and Honduras. So a real honor to have you with us, Raul. Thank you, Terry. And I should tell, share with the audience that this episode is Raul's idea. So the you know the bulk of the work went went to him finding the guests and and uh, getting everything organized. So you know a big thank you to you, Raul, for this really timely episode. Our guests um, today are Anibal Ibarra and Daniela Ortiz. Anibal is the former mayor of Buenos Aires and federal prosecutor. Anibal is currently a criminal defense lawyer and member of the Broad Front Political Party. Daniela Ortiz is a Peruvian artist and anti-racist militant who lives in Urubamba, Peru. She was part of the campaign against immigrant detention centers in Catalonia from 2009 until 2012. The Espacio del Immigrante in Barcelona from 2012 until 2016. During the pandemic, she was part of the Red de Cuidados Antiracistas in Barcelona and was founder of the Madrecistas Colectiva Against Judicialization of Motherhood and Childhood of Migrant Families and the Removal of Custodies. She is now part of the Frente de Lucha Materna in Peru, where she currently lives, and she is joining us live from Peru. So I want to, um, so hello, Daniela. Hi, Terry. Hi, Raul. Thanks a lot. So great to have you with us. I, I want to share with the audience that we're, we're going to focus on two countries in this episode. Um, we're going to first start with Argentina, and Raul had us... Um, set up a fabulous conversation on Tuesday with Anibal uh, Ibarra, which we pre-recorded. And we're gonna start with about 13 minutes of a 30 minute conversation. In this 13 minutes, I'm, we're gonna share with you, um, Anibal gives a really good context of what lawfare is and how it is being used across the Americas to push back against this emergence of center-left, radical-left governments um, that have been elected into office principally since about, I don't know, what, October of 2020 through uh, Bolivia, this or Brazil, excuse me, starting in Bolivia and ending with Brazil this fall. And then he will, and then he gives us a really good, um, concise um, description of what has um, happened to Vice President Christina Kirchner uh, in Argentina. This was last week. And then we'll follow with Daniela as to what has unfolded in Peru uh, since December 7th, again, last week as well. I think what um, everyone will find is that uh, this 13 minute uh, piece with Anibal Ibarra from Buenos Aires is a really good, um, Kind of a good setup to leading to uh, a really in-depth conversation of what's happening per in Peru. And again, I'm really thankful to you, Raul, for providing two on-the-ground uh, people, one in, in Argentina and one in, in Peru. And Danielle, thank you for joining us live tonight. So, uh, okay, folks, let me make sure I do uh, the screen share. 
properly. And make sure you click it with sound. It says, it'll, it'll give you an option that you have to do videos with yes. sound. Okay, here we go. Thank you very much, Terry. It's a pleasure to be on the show and to have another great conversation. Uh, you know, Lawfare, as you mentioned, is, is a key component taking place across Latin America. And I thought, you know, for with our discussion with Anibal, maybe Anibal, you can, you can kind of start from the beginning, kind of give us some basic facts as to Lawfare in this particular case, because it's very complicated. There are a lot of names and details and obviously the, the judgment that just came out against Christina is the sum of a long process of uh, judicial criminalization, as I like to call it. So maybe if you could walk us through some details, how it's worked and, and I guess what is the imp impact? First of all, thank you for your kind invitation. And I think it's very important for us to reflect on what's happening in Argentina. Why? Because this is not something that is only happening in Argentina. This is happening across the region. And when I say this, I speak specifically about the political persecution through uh, the judicial branch, lawful to be accurate. This has uh, happened several times, and this is a part of the tools that uh, power has to overcome opponents in an attempt to destroy a political uh, group. And the power uses several tools for that, and one of them is lawfare. And in Brazil, this became very clear. On one hand, a soft uh, coup took place with the removal of Dilma Rousseff from power. It was used against Lugo in Paraguay as well. And the other tool that they use is what they use later on when Lula said, I want to be a candidate for the presidency. Several judges and prosecutors that linked to politicians tried to uh, uh, prosecute Lula, and in fact, they sent him to prison. He was uh, prevented from uh, becoming president again. So we see these two tools, the soft coup and political persecution through the judiciary. So it's not uh, that you have a president or a governor that is acting against a politician. No, it's the so-called justice, it's the prosecutors, the judges that should uh, process criminals, but what they do instead, and the true corrupt, the true corrupt officials are the ones representing that judiciary that are carrying out lawfare and also the large media outlets. It's a confluence as a tool for disputing power. That's the context I want to give as an introduction. So this has taken place in Brazil, as I said before, and when that situation was left behind, now Lula is president again. And in Argentina with the government of Macri, these uh, people started to, with this trend of political persecution through uh, the judiciary, and they started doing this with the help of some judges and some prosecutors, and with political power behind and with the large media outlets uh, backing this uh, persecution. So they don't depict this as a persecution. They start to speak about uh, judicial investigation of corruption, and we as a country have committed internationally to act against corruption, and we need to let the justice act. That's the discourse they're using, and that is reproduced by the large media outlets. Instead, what we have is a political decision behind of persecuting the opponents, the other political sector, and chasing their leaders, send them to prison. That's what they want, discredit them. And 
the media outlets start to speak about corruption and then you have judges and prosecutors to apply justice according to what they say. This is the scenario. This is the context that we need to pay attention to when you analyze in Argentina and across the region a conviction or a persecution through cases that mention the word corruption. Why? Because in some cases you may find corruption facts, in, but in other cases, such as uh, uh, the case of Cristina Fernandez, what you have is a strategy of persecution. It's such a systematic strategy that the officials from the government that were part of a so-called uh, judicial table, and they used to see to analyze the case of Cristina and other leaders from the opposition, and they had a sort of tie with the judges to continue this uh, persecution, this processing, to take her to court, to arrest officials. So you would say, well, but judges are independent. Well, they should be independent. Now, when you start digging facts, you start to see judges that uh, had meetings with the former president without knowing, no one knowing about those meetings. You start to wonder, hmm, they're not so independent. So it's not that they go for a specific case to the presidential palace. They went to the presidential palace to see former president 10 to 15 times. They used to play tennis and paddle. So this uh, perverse bond, this immoral bond between the judges that were deciding on Christina's case and former president, I want to use it as an example of what corruption uh, is like in our country or in a part of our judiciary and specifically judges that uh, decide federal cases against government officials. This is the context in which this uh, persecution against Cristina Fernandez took place. And Cristina Fernandez was uh, targeted with several uh, denounces. She was processed, she was investigated, in, a, in the same day, she was investigated in eight different cases by the same judge. Her house uh, was uh, raided, the houses that she uh, owns in the south of the country. They digged uh, in part of her houses because uh, there were rumors that she had money hidden. So they uh, carried out the systematic persecution. And now what we see is what this uh, concrete case is. This is the context. So we cannot analyze a trial against Cristina Fernandez, uh, who, who was twice uh, president, in an isolated uh, manner as if it was a regular case. And I'm going to start mentioning the following. This was a political case, a political case a political ruling and a political conviction. It was not a judicial uh, case or a judicial process or, or a judicial conviction, not at all. So regardless of our discussions about juridical uh, arguments, this is not what is uh, relevant when it comes to a political decision. Some days uh, before the conviction was uh, uh, revealed, a journalist asked me, Ibarra, you were a member of the judiciary, you uh, held the position of federal prosecutor, and you were the major of a city. You have the two perspectives, the political and the judicial perspective. What do you think? Is she going to be convicted? And I said this, and I uh, had mentioned this same thing I'm going to mention about Milagro Salas, another leader that was uh, politically persecuted, and I repeated the same argument. And my judicial side told me it was impossible that she would be convicted because there were no legal grounds, and we are going to speak about this in a second. But my political side was uh, suggesting me when there is a political decision, the judicial grounds are not relevant. It's not relevant if there, are, if there is evidence or proof. 
what the decision of power is, that's what's going to have an influence. And effectively, that was what happened. And she was convicted. So what was being discussed in this case? The prosecutors said, and I'm going to summarize, there was a, a group of uh, criminals associating with a criminal intent to enrich themselves. And okay, what happened? Well, what did they do? Uh, so they said uh, they favor uh, public works in Santa Cruz. Uh, uh, Santa Cruz is a southern province in Argentina where the former President Kirchner was born. And uh, so how did the, the Cristina uh, favor the, those public works? Well, they carried out uh, projects through a friend, but were there tender bids? Yes. There were tender bids, but they were directed. I'm summarizing what they said, no, as arguments. What happened? Who was in charge of those uh, tender bids? Cristina? No. Any national official was in charge of that? No. That was in the hands of the province of Santa Cruz, a directorate from the province of Santa Cruz. Well, the prosecutors were saying, look, all the public works are approved by the parliament, senators and deputies in the law of budget. Well, but the deputies were not aware of what they were voting for. Look, the, the deputies were there and, and voted and no one exercised any pressure for them to vote. And these projects were approved normally. So I guess then you should convict the deputies that voted to approve those public works. No, they said, no, no, no. The prosecutor said no. And what about the ministers and the chief of staff? No, Christina and uh, some specific officials. And then you say, well, these public works were not executed. Yes, they were executed. Some other uh, public works were stopped by Macri. And were these projects uh, well executed? was an overpriced on these uh, public works. So there was no way. My, I mean, as a, an, a lawyer, I was analyzing and I was saying, okay, there was no way to uh, convict her because all the works were lawfully approved by the Congress. And what does Christina have to do with that? So there were no irregularities, but in the case there were irregularities. She didn't have anything to do. She was away from this decision. But however, they convicted her. Why? Because it doesn't matter the legal grounds in these cases, in these political cases. He lost the connection for a second. Okay. It is the political will of persecuting her and to convict her. And this is what they did. And that is why I say this was a political ruling, not a judicial ruling. And in this context, we need to analyze this with this. Okay, folks, so that was 13 minutes of a, of a legal, <laughs> of, a, of a legal treatise on, on what has happened in Argentina with Vice President Cristina. Um, Kirshner, and it's, I'm happy to share the entire recording um, with those of you who want. In fact, I'll paste the link to it um, uh, in, our, in our YouTube program description so you can see the whole thing. It's very, very in-depth, but I think that was the principal 13 minutes is to give all of you, um, you know, some idea of how lawfare, uh, political, judicial, legislative coups are being used to remove uh, people from office particularly those of center-left and revolutionary-left government. So that was last week in Argentina. And now joining us live from Peru is Daniela Ortiz to talk about an, another situation of, of lawfare that happened um, in Peru within one day of, of Argentina. So welcome, Daniela. Really thrilled to have you here with us live from um, from Peru. And you know what, before we start talking about Peru, I really do have to give a shout out to our translator for Anibal um, Ibarra, um, Carmela Velasquez, who was joining us on Tuesday um, from Argentina as well to provide um, Spanish to English translation. So 
So just um, a special thank you to him for that. Okay, Daniela. <laughs> thank Hi, you Terry. so much. I, I'm really honored to have you with us. And again, I have to big, big shout out to Raul um, for putting this episode together. Where's the best place for us to start, Daniela? Maybe with with what happened last week in Congress in Peru, or do we should we go back a little farther than that? Because yeah, it's been a difficult presidency for Castillo from the start. Exactly. Uh, this is the like an outcome of what has been happening in more than a year now since Castillo was elected that uh, there was a position from the right wing, from the elite, from the media to do not accept that he was elected. Actually, it's interesting to see in the context of Peru that when Castillo was elected, a whole process of denouncing citizens that were part of the votation tables uh, that were processed by huge law firms from Lima that they actually all got together to start uh, saying that uh, Castillo won because there was a, gen a general fraud that was committed by the citizens that were in the in the votation, no. So and the 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 mechanism was to uh, initiate legal process against those citizens, no, like a, a lawfare in a citizen sense. So it's really important to also understand, and it's interesting to see in the case of Peru, that lawfare is not only applied to the political figure that they want to persecute, but in this case was to citizens at the beginning, but also to the family mm -hmm. and to everybody who uh, was uh, around him. No, So that was a first response from the elite, the first response from Fujimori's party, a first response from, from the right wing. But then uh, since he started to be in government, there were uh, three attempts of impeachment. This was the third one. Uh, many cases of uh, open it of uh, supposed corruption. And as I mentioned, not only to him, also to his wife, to his daughter, who was uh, detained uh, actually uh, for almost a month with this type of weird accusations, really similar to the ones that we're seeing in Argentina. And actually, here we can see another similarity. No, The daughter of Cristina was also legally persecuted, accused of uh, corruption, no? and how they uh, try to impose a pre a pressure over uh, political figures using their families, no, and uh, um, and then a whole uh, process of uh, avoiding the government to be able to go to make uh, their regular life as a as a president. For example, Castillo uh, ha is forced uh, any president in Peru because precisely we have a parliament that has created laws in order to control the president. Uh, he was obliged to ask the parliament for permission, for example, for traveling to Colombia uh, when uh, Petro was elected for the initial ceremony of his government. I did, and they didn't give him the permission. No, So many trips that Castillo was supposed to do in order to carry out regular protocolar uh, activities of a president uh, were not allowed. And uh, what to say about all the laws that come, came from the executive power and from the presidency that were not accepted by the parliament. So uh, he could not even uh, like an, uh, um, accomplish those things he promised in campaign, in the, during the campaign. So also that was uh, against him. But uh, what he decided was what other presidents have decided before to dissolve the uh, the parliament because they were having this obstructionist uh, attitude towards the presidency. And uh, for example, Martin Vizcarra, who was also president uh, a few years ago here in Peru, took the same decision. But in the case of Martin mm -hmm. Vizcarra, he was not accused of making a coup, like how Castillo is being accused. And he was not accused of being a dictator of how, like, how Castillo is being accused nowadays. And after that, uh, that he made this declaration to dissolve the Congress, which is actually a, a request from the uh, from people, not only now in the protest, that the main request is to close 
the Congress. But before also, there was a, a big amount of people in the streets uh, actively asking uh, Castillo to close the Congress, which actually in the polls had only 11% of approval. It's an absolutely hated Congress in the context of Peru, no? but with a lot of power because they have been building the legal frames in order to have the power they have nowadays. No, So uh, just after that, uh, Castillo was detained. He's been accused of rebellion, which is a really a, a nonsense legal uh, frame for this because rebellion means that you need to be uh, using arms, guns, and it was not mm -hmm. the case. In fact, Castillo was almost alone when he did this. Uh, and um, and uh, the situation now is that we have uh, this uh, imposed uh, government uh, by Dina, lead by Dina Boluarte, no, uh, that uh, after the protests that came out because of the detention of Castillo, um, asking for the Congress to be shut down, asking asking for Castillo to be liberated, asking uh, also for uh, opening a constituent process that after I can talk deeply about that. Uh, but um, uh, what they have decided was first, there was a lot of police repression. And since yesterday, we are under a state of emergency and the army are in the streets. And it's not, we're not talking of a few soldiers in the streets. We are talking about tanks and we're talking about, I just was seeing videos of Ayacucho uh, where uh, the military are just running and shooting after people with not uh, rubber balls or anything like that. They are shooting real, uh, uh, real munition. No, so the situation is really complicated. Wow. So this this thirty this is when, yesterday Wednesday it was the new president or the. Intro, I don't even know what the coup president is that maybe the mm -hmm. better yeah. <laughs> declared a 30 day state of emergency and this is nationwide. Exactly. Initially I it was for a few provinces and now it's nationwide. Exactly. No, and uh, the level of violence, uh, like we have been through like really complex moments here in the few, in, in the last years. Uh, we had like, for example, a, another parliamentarian a coup lead by uh, Manuel Merino after two days of protest and after the police killed two uh, young uh, protesters, uh, Inti Sotelo and Brian Pintado, uh, they finally stepped down and then elections were, were uh, called uh, we had like an interim uh, government, no, uh, but the level of uh, radical violence and the strength of the situation that we are seeing now, not only by the government, by this coup government, by led by Dina Boluarte and by the Congress, but also by the media that I have never... Mm -hmm. uh, we have seen violence here in like verbal violence in the media, but for example, the other day, uh, in the biggest radio of the country, they were making an interview to a left-wing uh, congresswoman, and uh, she refused to repeat that Castillo made a coup, and she was trying to explain her perspective in regard to what happened. And they told her, we are not going to accept anyone in our radio to deny that there was a coup led by, by Castillo, and they shut down the interview with this parliamentarian. So the level also of control in regard to the media that we're having, and that's why I, I'm really thankful for this space, uh, uh, because the level of control that there is being in regard to what is being said and understood, how many times uh, the word Pedro Castillo is uh, 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 followed by saying that he is a dictator. Like what type of dictator? Like for three hours, what was what type of dictator makes a coup without military force? And what we are seeing now is a real coup because not only they have a, a, like a managed to get in power using a lawful process but also they have the military on the back. Like we are seeing the military on the streets and it's a military coup in that sense also, no? Because many times we think that lawfare is a soft way of imposing power, but what we're seeing in Peru is that lawfare was the path, but what followed after 
was the uh, legality in order to use the military and to have it uh, in the streets, no? That makes total sense, Daniela. And I think that's a really important component that the media is a key component of this. It's sort of one of the pillars of soft coup, of, of lawfare. And in the case of Peru specifically, uh, I mean, I read a report just recently from the Latin American Strategic Center for Geopolitics. They published a report called uh, Pedro Castillo in, in, in the media. And you know, over the last year, in 2000, 2022, uh, you know, out of all the reports that they analyzed in El Comercio en la República, 80% of them, pretty much 80% of them were negative. So that has probably had a huge impact. I know it, it's had a huge impact in the, in, at least in North America, where in Canada, where I'm at, where you know, people are kind of confused as to you know, it, it, did, did, did Pedro Castillo do something bad? Is he, is he, is he guilty? How do Peruvians or, or do Peruvians, is it, is it a divided country? Or is, are people, you know, like confused as well? Is it the same as it is for us in the North? Can you talk a little bit about how mm. the, the impact, because it, it did seem like you said, he, he made an announcement completely alone. Didn't have the support of his own party, the media, the military, nobody. And it just seemed kind of an odd uh, action to do totally alone. Hmm. Yeah, well, the situation with the media has been really complex, not only in the level of aggression of portraying everything in a neg negative sense, even with lies and manipulation of information, but with a level of racism that has been amazing. I mean, like how, because Castillo comes from a humble background from the countryside, he's a rural teacher, he's a union leader, no, and at the same time, he represents the majority of this country, no? not as we have seen in the last 200 years of a, a colonial, a of a colonial Republica, where we have seen a white high class um, presidents that didn't not represent the, uh, the people of Peru. No? And, um, and, but there is a complex thing also in regard to the portrayal of Castillo in the media, because one of the, mm, big factors why Castillo has so much support is because people feel identified with him, not only in, in an identity sense, in the sense I also come from this background. I, if, if I see his parents, I feel I'm similar to him, but also in the way Castillo is being treated by the elite. The elite has been treated in this way, treating in this way for 200 years since we have our, uh, an uh, supposed independence, all the people in, in, in the country, no? So there is a huge identification and that's why also people are now in the streets because they have seen all this time the big media that, I mean, like really in Peru, there are non-right-wing uh, uh, non, non, uh, media uh, available in the, in, in like, I mean, in the big channels and all this. Not even, there, I cannot name you a left-wing journalist in any big media, not even one, no? But what happens with this? That's only consumed in Lima and in the big cities, mainly in Arequipa, in Trujillo, and mainly in the capitals. Because also this media is most of them, they are white, white mestizo, high class, and they are also hyper racist in their way of approaching every time they talk about the provinces, every time they were talking about Castillo, for example, they have compared him to animals so many times, even progressive uh, uh, journalists and people that look alike, they, they were different, they were using all, all the time this uh, like uh, violent racist uh, approach to him, no? But yeah, like there is Cholo. something, yeah, like Cholo. No, they don't mention that anymore because that's not political mm -hmm. correct anymore. But they were creating, no, this, for example, saying that he's not capable, that he's just not capable. We can question him, but I, I guess somebody that arrives to a presidency has a, a capacity because I have friends that have gone to the Sorbonne University and they cannot even win elections in the university. But Castillo won elections in the country. So, and he was also a big leader. Uh, of the, he was the leader of the biggest uh, uh, teachers strike in the history of Peru. So he must have some capacities, no? But he was always portrayed like this. But there is something really important in regard to this. For example, the area where I live in Urubamba and in Cusco, in many of the rural areas of Peru, there are local radios, there are communitarian radios. So people here that have been supporting Castillo strongly since the beginning, 
Uh, actually, Castillo was a surprise for the elite when he uh, appeared in the second round. CNN, the American channel, didn't even have his image, his photo, when, when they saw that he was for the, uh, the second round in the elections, no? But uh, that has given some type of uh, freedom of thought in the context, in the rural context, and mainly in the south of the country, that we have uh, these communitarian radios, that people listen to, the, to that, not from now, not because of the elections only, but from before, because of the level of racism in the big media, no? Well, you know, this, um, the role of the media came up at one point when Raul and I were talking with Anibal Ibarra on Tuesday as well, and how it's owned by, um, you know, a certain segment of capitalist elitists. It's all works, you know, hand in glove. They're tools of one another. And, um, and that's seen throughout the what do you say, the oligarchy, the capitalists, the global capitalists, it's all, we see it playing out in the United States as well. And not just in traditional media, but social, particularly social media, I would argue. You mentioned um, a few minutes ago, there's tanks in the street that this uh, congressional action against um, Castillo was really about getting uh, a militarized you know, with what's now basically it seems to be a, a, a military coup. The day before, was it Tuesday? Or was it yesterday? No, it was Tuesday, correct? With the U.S. Embassy, the amb uh, U.S. Yes. Ambassador to Peru met hmm. with uh, the Minister of Defense. Is that correct? Yeah. Actually, and now we see this unfolding. Yeah, uh, just a few minutes ago before we started the program, Castillo has uh, published, well, his Twitter account has uh, published another one of his uh, letters. He has been writing down letters uh, from prisons that are being published in his Twitter account, which I recommend uh, following. Um, and uh, in uh, the letter, he talks about uh, this visit of the American ambassador, who is uh, uh, Lisa Kena, who is actually uh, somebody, uh, not any type of ambassador, is somebody that before coming to Peru was really involved in, uh, in, in Ukraine. And, uh, and then before she was in Iraq, and mm -hmm. she has been, and this is not paranoia or things... Uh, that we are inventing. No, it's the reality. The CIA. <laughs> it's a reality, and the CIA yeah. has a website. They have a budget, and they have an agenda. And uh, she had a meeting with uh, the Ministry of Defense of Castillo that was a new minister, something that is really important to understand that in this process of pressure that was done by the parliament to Castillo, because the parliament has so much legal process, uh, power, and it has much more power than the executive uh, um, and the presidency, um, uh, something that happened with Castillo, and it has happened before with other presidents, is that they start changing ministers in order to avoid having an impeachment and to uh, have a parliament that likes you, no? So he has, a, a, for example, the first a group of ministers was amazing, no? And we were all like really glad. Maybe we could question some of them, but it was really interesting. The first time we had Quechua speakers in the in the, in the ministers. First time we had a B like a, a majority of racialized people in the minister, even though it's a ninety percent racialized people uh, country. No, uh, but um, the situation is that uh, this defense minister entered at, at the end, and he had a meeting just three days before uh, Castillo dissolved the the Congress, but. Something important is that she has been having meetings also with the nation's prosecutor, who is the one that is accusing Castillo, not only of rebellion, but also of the other cases of supposed corruption. And actually this persecutor has been like really questioned because she has uh, taken out of office to many people, for example, that were investigating cases of corruption and cases that has to do with, uh, with uh, drug uh, cartels and things like that, that are linked to the Fujimori people because they also, uh, that's a big part of their power has to do with uh, 
the cocaine uh, uh, the cocaine uh, uh, production and, and exportation no so uh, um, as in many other countries we know and in many other situations that the embassy and in Peru we know that the American embassy has a lot of power also the ambassador from all the European Union when there were already five people murdered by this uh, government of Dina Boluarte, they came to uh, salute and to approve uh, Dina Boluarte, no? Um, when uh, then, then the same people, then they talk about Venezuela and Cuba, and they are talking about human rights violations. But with this, they were okay with a government that in the first two days have killed already uh, five people that were protesting in the streets. So uh, um, what we, what we, what I think, and it's really scary to think that, is that because the imperialist power has lost power in the region, because we now do have a uh, biggest amount, and most of the countries have left-wing governments, that they are going more radical with the situation of getting into power again. No, and uh, Peru also, yeah. uh, besides having. Um, had uh, a big ideologization process in the cities that are really people are really neoliberal in the way they think. No, we also have like really strong anti-terrorist laws, and they are starting to use those laws against the people that are protesting in the streets. No, so I do think that there is a situation that is not only the right wing, the Fujimori people, but I we are almost sure that the American embassy is having. Uh, a big role in this uh, in this situation, no? How do you think um, this is going to play out? If somebody was asking me the other day in a in a meeting I was in, um, I had just gotten back from Colombia actually, and I said, "Well, you know, a lot of a lot of the bad stuff we're seeing erupt in the past week across Latin America is in response, as you just said, Daniela." So all the good things that have happened since October 2020 with all these elections and these center right to revolution center left to revolutionary left governments. How do you think, and Raul, this is a great place for you to jump into with your thoughts. You have the US embassy's role really overt now in Peru. And also you have. Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, Bolivia, and I think now Honduras, who uh, have not uh, recognized this uh, regime change in Peru. Um, I think President Petro in Colombia overtly called it a coup uh, regime. And, I, and uh, Xiomara Castro as well, I believe. And so you've got these nations who are center left, not radical left, who are still allied pretty closely with the United States, saying they don't recognize this this new regime in Peru. How do you how do the two of you see that? I mean, that's like the first time really, I think for me in my lifetime, a block of nations who are allied with the United States are not recognizing what's happening. How's that going to play out? <laughs> ah, well, no, you both was, comment on it. As I was saying, I do think there is a like a dispute in the region, and this has to do uh, mm -hmm. uh, with that. No, uh, it yeah. it was really it was really great to see this, but also we confront a situation in which because of the level of Mm -hmm. aggressive historical aggressiveness against the left wing here in Peru and mostly after the armed conflict in the 80s and 90s that we had had all these anti-terrorist laws that have been applied to anybody that was just left wing having a Marx book was enough to be uh, processed no what happens also many times is that is that many times we are detached from the other left wings in the region we are not uh, into right. there are certain political groups that have relationships with the region but uh, unfortunately it's not something that is being uh, let's say um it doesn't have such a big reverberation inside no for example from Evo Morales it does have more, but because of an identity relationship from the south of Peru with Bolivia, no, and that there is a recognition over there. 
But what I have seen, and that's a positive uh, thing in regard to this position, which is amazing, and it's amazing how come Chile took the opposite decision, and today uh, Boric's government decided uh, to support Dina Boluarte. No, that I don't understand why they have taken this uh, this decision. No, and and also we can see that it's a great strategy to come to do not recognize this government and they can also do it because they have the power to do it imagine if lula would be already in power no from the first of january we're going to have him no uh, maybe she would not even uh, be able to be in government after having all that pressure from from the region but uh, also uh, we saw that the uh, exterior minister from peru answered it really quickly saying that they were interfering in national uh, things, et cetera. So that's something that is uh, shaking, making shake the government. And that's really important uh, if it continues. No? And you can see it that on the other hand, you had uh, the uh, American ambassador and the European Union ambassadors uh, recognizing the government also uh, really fast, because as I say, it's something that is bigger than the situation in Peru. Yeah. yeah. It's a regional situation. Yeah, it's absolutely. a global situation, actually. <laughs> yeah, as I mean, as Daniela, I mean, I'll just add a few things that, you know, there are obviously regional power play going on here where the US, you know, I don't I don't know the details specifically around Peru. So it's great that Daniela kind of like gave a little bit more information on that. But we know that they're always there. You know, these decisions aren't taken alone, right? So, you know, the Congress, in, I'm sure in consultation with the US uh, and their international support, partners made that decision when it was necessary. I do think there is like a, you know, there is, a, you know, the United States that I would add the, you know, Eastern, the Europe and, and Canada, of course, I always add Canada in that mix where there, there is a hegemonial struggle with, you know, the influence of China, Russia and other, and other sort of, you know, countries that are coming in. And, and, and it seems like the, the West has taken their eye off Latin America uh, for the last little bit. So we're now seeing a resurgence of you know, progressive-ish type governments, you know, at all levels from, you know, from different countries. And, and and it's great that these countries can kind of come together somewhat as a block, but I mean, there is confusion because we saw in Chile, we, I mean, I, I saw Lula's statement as well, and it wasn't great in my opinion. I thought it was kind of weak uh, based on somebody who's suffered, you know, under lawfare and imprisonment. So I, I do think that the challenge with lawfare and these soft coups is that it's easy to kind of overlook what's going on because there's a quasi-legal component to it. Uh, and, and then it's very easy for the Canadian government, the US government, and sort of the West to say, well, you know, we don't support coups, but it's not, you know, it's a, it's a quasi-legal thing. And it always brings me back. I mean, I always put this context with Manuel Zelaya in Honduras in 2009. And if we recall when this happened, it was like, everybody said this was a judicial issue. You know, people were trying to change the constitution. And so then it confuses a lot of people and it confuses and what it does. And I think for me, the most concerning is that it, it breaks the link of solidarity, international solidarity from people in the global south, in the north with, with these struggles, because people are like, well, you know, was he corrupt? You know, one of somebody asked me like, well, he had to have been found guilty of something, right? Because there were so many charges against Castillo. So there is a confusion around that. And I think that does create kind of a separation of solidarity. So there is like, would, why would someone want to support a person who's closed Congress, right? So I think that's the big challenge. And I think that we have to somehow overcome and through lawfare, it really makes it very difficult in my opinion. So I think that's a bit of a struggle, even with progressive governments in the region. Daniela, do you want to comment on that or? Yeah, actually else? that's something that happened. I think it has to do with breaking the trust in between us, yeah. that it's really strong. Like, I mean, it. we have this whole legal thing, no? but uh, um, also when we um, think about, for example, cancellation, cancellation culture in the worst version of it, no? Uh, we we know that it was needed to go out to denounce uh, uh, patriarchal violence, but then the way it has been used is really uh, complex, no? Uh, um, and we can see that there is this constant thing of as soon as you have one small denounce, it's enough to say, okay, there is something going on here, or we are not going to believe this, no? And that also has to do with breaking, as I say, the trust within the left wing, 
within uh, the left-wing organizations that as soon as you have, and then this notion here was installed really strong in the media. Well, it's really easy. You just have to prove that you are not guilty. <laughs> yeah, but uh, a judicial process is not one month, three days or something like that. It takes a lot of uh, resources, a lot of time in order to uh, win a process, no? And uh, even if you have all the media against you, and then what happens in many cases? You win the process, and then the media doesn't say anything about that. And nobody talks about you in the in the sense uh, uh, that you have already won the process. That's something that happened here, for example, with uh, all the uh, many of the people of the party that uh, Castillo won with, uh, Perú Libre, uh, and mostly the leader of Perú Libre, that is uh, Vladimir Serrón, uh, he has, for example, 16 processes. And other groups of left-wing, once he had like uh, a denounce, they were like, oh, now we have to see and wait what happens with this, no? because he already has a denounce. And uh, as we know, it's really easy to denounce. And then nobody's going to persecute the people that are unfairly using law and denouncing uh, uh, people to manipulate this. No, I, I, I don't know anybody that is now in jail because they have been using lawfare. Then you just go home and okay, you were free and that's it. No, so I think they have uh, also lawfare works in a, in a really not only it doesn't only break your image with the media publicly with the people who voted for you, but also breaks political organizations. No, we have seen it, mm -hmm. for example, with Julian mm -hmm. Assange, like making this parallelism in regard to gender violence or uh, gender uh, like or abuse, uh, denounced that bam, in certain moment that suddenly Julian Assange was denounced by that and everybody believed him because we are supposed to believe him, no? because we are against uh, gender violence and abuse and all this. But I think in this type of cases, that is so clear that that person is living a political persecution, we cannot believe any corruption or any type of, of denounce uh, uh, just like that. And it's really important also to remember that the Biden uh, government, one of the first things they did was to create and make a fund that is actually uh, uh, delivered through USAID uh, to contexts such as Peru, for uh, making uh, anti-corruption and supporting anti-corruption policies, no, and we know that that has to that has to do with supporting organizations that are being part of uh, reinforcing these uh, these uh, lawfare uh, processes, no. And then also for me, like in a, a as an artist, I did a few years ago a video that is called Empire of the Law, because. For me, there is also a bigger question in regard to law. No, Law has been historically the tool that power has used to inflict violence, as is uh, broadly said. No, Like uh, slavery was legal, uh, all the colonial system was legal, uh, No, and law is, uh, if you see the colonial monuments that were being teared down uh, in the recent protests in the States and in many other contexts, you have always uh, these colonizers many times have a sword in a hand and then the law in the other hand, no? Because it was uh, something uh, historical. It is something historically used in uh, in order to uh, impose violence. The thing is that as, as left-wing, we have said, okay, we're going to use your rules. We're going to accept your democratic system. We're going to accept your laws and we're going to play within that, no? Uh, but uh, but then we see what is the outcome also because we're we're working inside the air system in this sense, mm -hmm. no? In the, inside the air legal system, no. Maybe one last question from my end, uh, Terry, if that's okay. Sure, go ahead. And, and I think it's just kind of important to juxtapose. So you know, the, I guess the question for me is, so you know, Pedro Castillo, he 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 closed down Congress, right? He tried to absolve it with without any real power. He, he kind of lost touch with his base. It seems like his party, his own party didn't support him. He, you know, he started uh, bringing into Congress, as you mentioned, a lot of sort of neoliberal, uh, you know, uh, members. You know, he, he wasn't able to do much. Uh, you know, uh, a Dina, Dina is, is a part of his party. She's, you know, she's progressive, supposedly. She's a woman. Uh, what, 
why you know do are, are Peruvians not happy with the change? Like how 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 would because I'm just I get a lot of people in the north get confused about this. Is this not a good thing? Like this is not a coup from the military. Not not there's not a good thing, but like this is not you know it wasn't a military coup. It was a congress. It was you know women now and from uh, from his party. Is there anything good that can come from this, or how do you see you know what's going on around that specifically? And maybe the kind of an odd question. Sorry, I apologize. No, 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 totally. No, uh, obviously there is, uh, I mean, like this uh, right wing or right center uh, people from, from Lima or from Arequipa or Trujillo, or from the cities, uh, is the government they wanted, no? Uh, also mainly because one of the biggest attacks against Castillo was that uh, only because he's a rural man, you know, uh, racialized male have more... Uh, 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 are are being are accused uh, to be uh, more macho than white male, and it's just believed because they are racialized. No, there is a racist also uh, parameter in regard to understand uh, how patriarchal is a male. No, and uh, but for example, in the government of Castillo, something that has never happened in the country. We had two ministers of the women uh, ministry that were feminist militants. We had never had feminist milit militants in the government, for example, no? But what was more important for uh, this uh, uh, center or right wing uh, pointing out, no, but how many women are in the in the ministers? If, if it's not 50-50, then it's, a, it's not a paritarian uh, process, then uh, he's a macho and all this stuff, no? So uh, that's something they they have tried to use. I think they tried to use it in Bolivia also, no? Uh, mm -hmm. Something that was used broadly against uh, Evo was that he was male and that he didn't. But then at, at the end, we have an anti-patriarchal minister in, in the context of Bolivia, no? Uh, but then they had Janine Añez that was a female figure, no? Uh, that was strategically used for that. And I think in the case of Dina Boluarte, they are pushing to create that narrative and the same uh, to create the narrative that they have 50% of women in the different uh, ministers. But as I say, that's something that is only working in the context of Lima, because also here uh, we are seeing, uh, it's, it's common the discussion to see that the ministers are all the time all white. No, and that's something that we can see again in the ministers of uh, of Dina Boluarte. So Castillo also had a lot of support because many, for example, Guido Bellido, who was uh, uh, from the first group of ministers, uh, it was the first time I listened a speech in Quechua that was not only saying hi and bye in a symbolic symbolic way. He was speaking politically in Quechua, and that is desperation of the white politicians in the parliament to have an authority speaking in, in Quechua was speaking, giving a whole speech, giving, uh, making political reflections about that, no? Because indigenous people were never allowed to occupy that space. So here, and mostly in the south of the country, you can see that the main uh, worried about uh, uh, the government is to feel represented in that context, no? Wow. This is so much to unpack. <laughs> you really brought that to the forefront. So what else? I, Daniela, you've been speaking with us for almost an hour. I'm so I'm so thankful for your time tonight. Is there anything else we have not touched upon that our audience should should hear, should know about? Anything well, you, Daniela, would like um, to bring up or Raul? Yeah, well, from here is that it's really important uh, to try to find information that is not from the main media because what is happening yeah. is terrible. And what we're seeing is that it's going to get uh, harder, no? And uh, that's also, uh, like, I think it's, it's really important. And that the persecution is not only to the president. Uh, many of his ministers are already processed. Uh, the main... Uh, the, the one that started being his justice minister and that has been with him all the time is already underground. Like uh, uh, he had to, we don't know where he is because 
of all the situation of persecution, and that is going to come also to the to the militancy and to people that are just like uh, union leaders, uh, people who are part of feminist groups and everything. No, we are sure it seems that it's going to come to that level. No. Wow, almost a cleansing for lack of a. I mean, it's yeah. not just a. It's not just a persecution of the president and his cabinet. It's a persecution of everybody that of of people who voted for him and yeah, continue absolutely. to support him. Yeah, yeah. it's scary. It's crazy. So we um, we're going to have to do a follow up and follow you, Daniela, because this is really. I mean, every day it's getting uh, more and more intense and more and more dangerous for people like you. And uh, so we should. Uh, we should plan on talking with you again, Raul. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. So, so I, let me just uh, remind the audience that you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean. We're a popular uh, resistance broadcast, and we broadcast on YouTube uh, every Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on the Convo Couch, Code Pink, Action, and Popular Resistance Org. And, uh, and also... You can um, post-broadcast, find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and popularresistance.org under podcast. So thank you, Daniela. Thank you, Raul, for putting a terrific episode together. Really, this was uh, your baby tonight. <laughs> so I'm so, thank I'm so thankful for it. So Thank you for giving okay, us everybody. a space. Well, it's really, really important, Daniela. We'll have to have you come back and keep us updated. On, uh, on what's happening live from the ground in Peru. Okay, everyone, we're, uh, thanks for joining us today and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye, Daniela, gracias.